Welcome to Lonely Cello. Welcome to Lonely Cello. I am your host, Emily Wright, and today I am here with Karen Brosh. Karen Brosh. You know, I'm glad you said that because in my head, I've been brashing you. I've been saying Karen Brash, which is like not even how you are as a person. Um, there should be actually ahead of time. I know Karen. Karen and I have been having lessons for what? August, oh, November, October, November, six months. Yeah. It's our anniversary. Happy anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary, babe. <laughs> um, so this is just kind of continuing um, the series of just talking to adult learners. I'm actually going to try to um, find some adult quitters, some people who quit and talk to them afterward and just see how like, like, yeah, my life's never been better. And then there'll be a mass just wave of people quitting the cello and I will regret doing it. Um, so, um, I bet people can guess because we're having lessons, but, uh, what instrument do you play and how long have you been playing? I play the cello. I've been playing off and on for about 11 years, but really in earnest with daily practice and weekly lessons for about four years. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I know that, um, you've had a recent change in instrument. Um, but tell, tell us about your new instrument. I did. Murphy got an upgrade to Cersei. Um, <laughs> I, I, had, I named my cellos. Um, my first cello, um, my husband bought me. It was my rental cello. Um, when he could tell I was really serious about it instead of renting, he's like, you need, you need your own cello. And now that it's been, gosh, probably 10 years since that, um, I upgraded and love it. Um, and... Um, I'm, I was kind of asking, did you have any prior musical experience? I know that you kind of had like a couple um, goes at the cello, but before that, did you have any, like, did you do anything like as a kid, like piano lessons or anything like that? I did piano lessons as a kid and I did clarinet for a couple of years, which I'd completely forgotten about. So you just asked me that. I even was first chair a couple of times in, in band. And I don't know if you heard the the last one, but I feel like Tanya played clarinet too. So there's just like the, the cello clarinet axis is like, there is a thing there and I don't know what it is, but it's definitely a thing. Um, and then I guess what made you choose the cello as opposed to like violin? Uh, great question. Chose the cello because my now husband, but at the time we were dating, um, I found out that he and his entire family were classically trained musicians. Um, and his brother and sister both teach, and sister-in-law all teach, actually, and brother-in-law. And uh, anyway, I didn't know anything about classical music. I mean, I liked it, but we would go on these road trips, and he would make me playlists, and I realized I couldn't pick out any instrument. Like, I didn't know how many instruments were playing. That's how much I didn't know about classical music when we met. And uh, But the one I always picked out was the cello, and he's like, hey, you know, my brother plays the cello. So when I met his brother, thankfully, he had... Um, come home and actually had his cello with him and he let me play it. So he sat me up and he's thankfully an actual um, instructor as well, but he taught me how to play Twinkle, which is a Suzuki. They're all Suzuki teachers. Um, and uh, that first pull across the strings and I was so hooked, um, absolutely in love to the core. I was like, I have to do this. 
but I didn't want to tell my then boyfriend until I actually kind of gave it a try. So I went home and I got um, an adult Suzuki teacher and I rented a cello and I took lessons for about two months before I told him <laughs> that I was taking cello lessons. So you <laughs> would just practice when he was out of the house? Well, we were still dating. So oh, dating. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that was before we got engaged. And uh, I just wanted to make sure I was really going to go through with this before I got his hopes up that, you know, I'd fit into the family. <laughs> yeah. Something tells me that like, I don't know, you stand out kind of wherever you go is my, is my general instinct about you. I think it's something we have in common for better or worse. <laughs> um, so I know this is a funny question because uh, we, we had a conversation about work before this, um, <laughs> before we started recording but how about broadly speaking, what do you do when you're not being a music student? Kind of what is your general role at places you tend to work? At places I tend to work, uh, corporate uh, management, uh, business operations and strategy. Um, that's what I do for a living. Um, but hobbies, job, I, you know, proud mom of three boys. Um, they keep me very busy. So I like being a soccer mom and my youngest actually also plays the cello. Um, he's been playing for three years, so he started at the age of four. True Suzuki met Suzuki world. Uh, my older boys played the piano, and yeah, so. And you're um, the the young cellist. What is he working on now? Like what piece? He is trying to finish Minuet Number Two to graduate from Suzuki Book One. <laughs> that piece, though, it's like a landmine, right? Like the the whole the whole book. You're like, yeah, man, I can do this. I can do this. And then all of a sudden there's this piece that I feel like should be in book three. Like, why is this happening to me at the end of book one? So, um, but it is, um, I feel like if you can play that piece, it means that you're doing so many things right. But I, um, I also know that that piece is kind of like, you know, people go to medical school and they say that it's, um, it's organic chemistry that is like the thing that separates people from like, if they quit that, then you're not going to be a doctor. Right. And I feel like this piece is like the attrition point for people. Like if you can just get through it, you're going to be fine. But there's a lot of people who are just like, nope, you know what? I'm going to play clarinet. <laughs> I think scherzo is in book three is, is a similar, am I going to push through this? But Book one goes right into long, long ago, right? For the, or beginning of book two, I think, right? I think so. Anyway, so it lets you, it like dials you back a little bit. Like, hey, you got through menu at number two. So now you can go for, but yeah. Yeah, I think of it as the um, the bite of lime after the bracing shot of tequila. <laughs> and which is totally an appropriate metaphor for a child playing Suzuki. Okay, Great. For yeah, for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, um, so then just like thinking about this more recent time, this most more recent burst of, of playing and learning, um, what has kind of surprised you the most about learning? I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind really is how much the practice really makes a difference. And it's kind of happening at the same time as I watch my son and then I watch the progress since you and I especially have been doing it. And there's a lot and we can get into later on on probably the whys behind, but now that I practice the way I practice, um, that's been the most, it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, that's what Suzuki is all about, which is what I've been doing. And I watched, you know, my my son learning, but I think as, as I'm doing it, I'm really feeling the difference, like the real practicing with intent, what that means on the other side. Does that yeah. make sense? 
It does make sense. Um, and actually, would you be willing to share just like a little bit about like kind of, would you give us like a sample practice? Um, just like what maybe the last one was or maybe what you would like your next one to be like? Sorry, you mean actually just talking through it? Yeah, no, I want you to grab your instrument and, and practice for all of us. Oh, it's here. But <laughs> my listeners don't want that. Um, no, uh, sure, like the before and after, kind of from my aha, like the practice. Before, I think that, you know, and there were a lot of factors at play, but I, I began to dread practice because I wasn't getting better. That's, that's the main thing. I'd been doing it a long time in my mind. Um, I watched my amazing nieces and nephews who, granted, have been playing and they have parents who know what they're doing. But it's just, it's so um, inspiring, intimidating at the same time. And I just felt like I hadn't been getting better. And I didn't know what I was doing, right? I didn't know what was wrong with the, not, the practice. Um, I was going by the book. I was doing what I thought would work but it wasn't sinking in. And the difference now is I practice with intent and it's it's in a way that my adult brain can get it. And so every day I went from not looking forward to practicing to I can't wait to practice and can I, can I practice enough and can I do it a couple times a day? And so it was a big aha. Would you give me an example of like one of your intentions? Sure. Um, uh, kind of towards, you know, a goal of not that I, you know, I would someday good enough to sound musical. I think we've talked about that a bunch. And in my mind, <laughs> my intent is I can make this musical by, and then it's a, what have I learned in my last couple of lessons? So the intent is I'm going to be musical where before it was, you know, I can't get this right. And it wasn't the curious objectivity we have discussed. Am I sharp? Am I flat? It was like, kind of, you stink at this and this isn't, um, this isn't going the way I want it to go and then just getting frustrated. So my intent is play through. My intent is if it's not perfect, it's okay. What did I learn? You know, and um, I became a much better hippie about the whole thing. Uh, just being in the moment. I, my goal is to be musical. If that didn't sound musical, what could I change? Is it That's exactly it. It's like, um, applying the scientific method to, right? Just like, well, if you, and if you don't know what to change, just like venture, I guess, right? Yeah. Just, right, yeah. just try try something. But also um, it's really important because I think a lot of people, a lot of teachers don't teach their students how to practice. And that's almost all of what I do. I, I work with like interpretation and things like that, but like mostly I'm informing people who are beginners and intermediate, like here's how to, here's how to practice. Here's how to structure your practice, but realize if you're listening to this and you feel like you're going from that place of lack and like, I'm not good at this. I don't know what it is, but I know it's not good. That's actually, you're all, you're still almost all the way there because discerning the gulf between where you are and where you want to be is actually the single most important thing for you to do. But you can either take that information and sharpen it into a little point that you can stab yourself in the heart with over and over again, or you can say, ah, that is information. And if I can just breathe for a minute, I might be able to, with my adult brain that is good at doing analytical things, devise my own strategy for seeing how I can like kind of take a step forward. And that's, I think the really important change in like the quality of your practice. Yeah. Absolutely. The whole being present in the moment, I wanted it so badly to sound like music, 
um, that I just hold on to everything so tight. I think, you know, I don't breathe when I play, which generally is not good. Um, but the intent is what can I do different to make it musical as opposed to just holding on so tight. And also though, um, I hope that you're doing this too. I think you are when something goes well, you're like, what did I do that made that go so well? Because nothing there, there's almost, it's almost better to sound crappy for a couple days in a row than to have a great practice. And then the next day you're like, well, I don't know who that person was, but I am not in touch with whatever they were doing. <laughs> I am not that guy. Yeah, breaking it down like we've been doing, and I know, and I appreciate all your support, pushing really hard on just going back to technique and not trying to play a whole song. Before, I would try to play a whole song. I would do it over or a piece. Um, I would do it over and over again, not correcting anything, right? Not making any progress. And then when you and I started together, you know, and I was like, pick one thing and you help me with one. And breaking that one thing down and then getting good at it, I celebrate that right? That that's something to celebrate. Yeah. And, and also it's um, like, you can get better via what we call like brute force, right? It's, it's like doing brute force math computations, right? Like you, you can get better, but for people who are surrounded by like you, you're surrounded by musicians or people who have a very strong ear, it is so difficult to sort of like say, uh, the next step I want to take is making music when there are actually four or five steps that are purely technical, purely mechanical that you have to resolve. And then the music actually just kind of happens. Like the technique is not an adjunct to the music. It is what makes the music possible, but it's very hard to get there sometimes because like sometimes when we adjust your technique and I don't mean your, but like students technique, the initial result is that you sound worse, right? Because like we're doing something new with the body <laughs> on the old instrument. So, um, but yeah, just kind of staying, trying, boys, staying like present. Don't you just want to like, like hurt people who say that all the time? Because it's like, yeah, because I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick. Like right in the past 15 years has been like, just stay with it be mindful. And like, yes. Okay. But this is not about finding some like beautiful place of Zen. It's literally just like, just pay attention to your thumb. And if you yeah. can pay attention to your thumb while you play these 14 notes, that will have been being present. It's not that you're like, and now I feel great about this. It's like, no, you just know if you're clamping with your hand. It's like, so just kind of take the pressure off of yourself. If you're listening to this and you're trying to be more like attentive, it, it's not where we are. If we're on the Buddha's path, we are, we are very far down the mountain from him in terms of our goals. <laughs> <laughs> but you did actually, um, one of the things that you had said during one of our lessons was, you know, kind of watch like you're watching, you know, out of body, right? As you're just like, just observe what you're doing. And that was very eye-opening to me, right? And um, and it's awareness. So it's, and you're right. I mean, oh my gosh, too much on the mindfulness and be present because unless you're actually doing that, you don't know what that feels like. But the, hey, just watch from outside. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What are your observations from a disconnected, not beat yourself up the whole time, but from a, hey, you know, that was sharp. That was flat. Am I relaxed? You know, just questions that you ask. Anyway, yep. And for people who don't, um, who uh, don't do that well, like when you're like trying to observe yourself from the outside, one of the uh, things, uh, exercises I recommend is 
don't even look in a mirror, but open up either your laptop or go to your, your desktop or your tablet and just turn on the front facing camera. We will ignore what it does to our faces because that is so cruel and it is a lie. You do not look like the way your front facing camera says you look. But um, there's something about observing yourself with the slight latency that is like really useful and also good technique has a real look to it and like not good technique also has a real look to it and so it's kind of a way to bring a little objectivity into your practice without feeling like you have to be um like you have to have all the answers just sometimes just having a look does that look like cellists i watch so um if we're thinking about kind of your arc um with the instrument um i don't like to talk about like regret necessarily but like if you could go back and do anything differently at some point like what would you what would you change either like a like steps you took or like places you went in your mind or you know any of those um excellent question i'm going to be a little corporate -y, but i'm going to say i wish i'd started with why Simon mm. said start with why um, and bigger and more important for all students out there listening um, of all ages know why you want to do the cello and make sure you communicate to your teacher. Um, and I think I did it better when I met with you. And I think I had more clarity on what my frustrations were and why I just wasn't using what I tell my boys, use your out loud voice when you want something. <laughs> um, so I going back and knowing what my why is, what do I want out of this? Am I going to be a concert, you know, cellist and open for big concerts? No. And that's not my goal. I don't want to do that. But I needed to figure out what I wanted to be. I wanted to be more than just my son's cello mom, right? I had bigger goals than that because I was playing before he was. You know, he picked the cello in theory because of me, what I mean, he was four, so he still liked me, you know. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. it's that whole start with why and have a goal. And then I wish I had spoken up about what I wanted. And I probably wouldn't have lost quite as much time or been a little bit more um, on the right path. But so this is not one of my prepared questions for you, but um, what are some of your goals actually with with the instrument? Well, I think I open all of our lessons with, I just want to sound musical. <laughs> so my, my short-term goal is to get the techniques um, that I feel like I, I didn't focus on well enough in the past, all on me, not on the teachers. I think I just wasn't processing what I was, what I was getting. Um, and I was focused in the wrong area. So I want to be able to play through a piece, um, ultimately get them back to being memorized again, and just be able to play through a piece and love it and have it sound like music. And then, you know, maybe a, a you know, a, a quartet or something, you know, just for fun at, in jam sessions, not in front of people necessarily, but to the point where I can do that and where my son, who's about to surpass me in the cello, <laughs> will play with me, you know, and be excited to play with me and that we could do things together. No, no, we'll, we'll keep him down. Look, if we have to sabotage him, Karen, <laughs> this is not going to happen. You're like, hey, maybe you should try, uh, actually just ch change the hands. Just like, go ahead and try it with your right hand. Try the bow with your left hand for a couple of weeks. And then we will just blast through book four or something like this. I, I, I a book ahead of him and, and I'm good. <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, my goal is to not let him surpass me. So there's the competitive edge and it's for him too. Um, uh, God bless him. He's doing great. But yeah, those are really, you know, those are, you know, short-term, long-term goals, but everything kind of building into that. So 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I asked the other um, adult learners this, and I kind of asked, like, if you could go back and give beginner you some advice, but maybe it could be more broadly, actually, like, because I think beginners really do for all of the different entry points. I think a lot of the journey looks very similar. So like, what would some advice be for people who are just getting started on this thing and are maybe feeling like this is monumental or like one of our friends in the studio class, how she was feeling like she wasn't being taken seriously, right? Like that, like her, her, her goals were a joke. What would you say to beginners? Yeah. So one, you know, make sure that your teacher does not think your goals are a joke, right? Like alignment with your teacher and it's okay, right? All teachers have, you know, um, different ways to teach and there's a bunch, you can learn from everybody, but really finding that sync of, hey, are my goals in line with how, does my teacher understand why this is important to me? Because that's number one. I think if that's a misalignment, the entire approach is misaligned. And then the second thing would be, um, and you had me doing this a bunch too, but watch cellist, listen to cellist, watch the videos, look at the technique. What can you emulate? What can you, you know, riff off of and um, do it in front of a mirror? Those kinds of get in to the moment where you feel it and you can feel the instrument and play even, practice even when it doesn't sound great, but just get to know your instrument and make sure that your teacher's aligned with what you really want. It's important to have a crush on the instrument and on the music that's written for it. And that's actually one of the, for, for a while, like when Instagram and like classical musicians started really getting on Instagram for a while, I was actually super triggered and I couldn't watch because I was like, it it is so natural to want to compare and to be like, I'm not providing content like this. I am not in Vienna concertizing. I am not in the you know, Plaza Hotel with a fabulous gown. I am not practicing the world's hardest piece in front of people and succeeding at it. And it was like, right. And I fell into this thing that I have, I have to coach my students out of all the time, which is comparing yourself to somebody else's journey, right. Which has had all kinds of, they've, they've paid prices for things and I've paid prices for things. And it just, we've ended up in these different places and so now, especially because like with Tamarack Arts, I feel like I have to be like a real advocate for this group of people and to sort of help all of you get some of the inspiration that we got when we were at music school. And now I'm just like, I'm actually really, I don't think it's wasted time. I probably spend an hour a day watching mostly cellists, but string players just having a wonderful time. And it just like, it, it inspires me. And it reminds me of why we're doing this, but also it's like, I'm still learning. And sometimes I see somebody do something that I've been trying to teach somebody and I'm like, that is the way, this is what I need to show them. So definitely like just watch, sure, watch for technique, but also just watch because it's like so fucking cool. <laughs> it's so good. Language, language immersion. That's what I'm doing now, which I wasn't doing before, which is right. And it's not just the listening, but you started me on this not that long ago on the really, especially now with my new guy, but loving the cello. Sorry, she's a girl. The new one's a girl. Anyway, loving the cello and really kind of getting to know your instrument. But immersion, my Instagram is full of, and see, I don't have the, since I, I'm, since I'm such a beginner, it's all inspiring to me. So I, you know, I'm not thinking at any point, you know, that I'm 
even musical yet. So I love watching the students. There are so many students who do their student cello rooms and they record every day, whether it's good or bad. And I watch them and it's just so, I feel like a stalker, but I mean, they do put them out there. But I watch because it's inspirational to see the vulnerability and when they mess up and when they don't like something and when they actually hit it and it's really good, it's, it really is language immersion. I'm just cello around me all the time now and it makes such a difference right that and that's a that's what music school is right you're just like in with the nerds with people who are just like you who think that like all of the same things are cool and it's also cool just to watch other people learning and to see also seeing people struggle first of all it makes you feel less alone but also i find it um sometimes watching another student resisting change was helpful in getting me to not resist the changes that the teachers, you know, were always benevolent, always trying to help. But like, it's really easy to stiffen when a teacher is like, could you just change that? No, actually. Um, so you mentioned that you have kind of like this massive group of like professionally trained musicians around you. Um, so this is kind of almost just like an academic question because I know the answer. So the people in your life, they are supportive of your efforts um, but what is it, what is it like having all of these people who are playing at this very high level around you? So intimidating. Um, and they know I never want to play at family stuff. And of course they play every Christmas together and they're amazing. Um, and I usually kind of like hide in the background. Um, every once in a while they'll, they'll let me play with them because they're really sweet, but I try not to, cause they're amazing. Um, but it's inspirational, right? I can see what they're doing and I hear it. And, and again, for me, it's the immersion. My family, they don't play instruments. Oh, except my niece. She just picked up the violin because of me, because of my um, Brosh family. So that's awesome. So she just started. But for the most part, they don't. And so, you know, they clap at everything, right? Because they're not, <laughs> they don't know. It's awesome. They, they don't know. And I've completely missed a note. But um, my uh, musician family are incredibly supportive. They always want to see the videos when I do my rehearsals or we do our performances. And I'm always mortified, but they're awfully gracious about it and think it's fun that I'm learning as a grown up. Well, it is, but also just, I, I can, I have to keep repeating this, like everything that you've done, we have done, right? And it's not like I've forgotten all of those like times when I made big mistakes or mistakes I will yet make. Let's have hope for the future. I will ruin lots of F sharps in, sure. in the future. I know I will F sharp and, and me, we have a special relationship. I mean, I um, mean if it wasn't for them. I mean, they've been phenomenal. I mean, I'm so, so fortunate to have joined a family that brought that kind of, you know, light and love in. So. Well, it's true. Also like the classical like vibe. I feel like there's like kind of only two tribes and it is like your family or people who are like, Oh, you want to do this? Well, <laughs> you know, like this, the super snobby, like, oh, right. Right. You go to, you go to any like classical music Facebook group and there's just two camps, people who are like, yeah, man, that's great. And then people who are like, well, when I was studying with, you know, Yehudi Menuhin, I, I was the finest and you're not the finest and like, oh my God. So I'm glad that you got the other group that you got the good people surrounding you. tribe. My tribe is amazing. Yes. Um, so in terms of like, you have, uh, even though you're like modest, you have some pretty like ambitious goals and you practice like somebody who definitely like wants to get there. So like, have you found it hard or easy to like carve out the time that you need to practice? Because like, 
if you spend not enough time, the backslide is real, right? Like you can feel oh, yeah. it. Oh yeah. I have been there. Um, I don't even like that. I was gone for four days and didn't practice. Right. So I feel like it's the whole warm up again mm -hmm. when I was out of town. Uh, no, I'm very, very fortunate that my husband is incredibly supportive. So is the family of cello time. Thankfully, again, coming from a family of musicians, I mean, he knows how important that is. So I fit it in with the kids and the work and all of that. And um, I make the time. It really is a, we all have time. What do you prioritize, <laughs> right? Like, how do you prioritize your time? And so for me, this um, is one of my top priorities after making sure that my, my family is cared for. But they're also, we're all, all hands on deck here. You know, my husband is, I'd say just as helpful, if not more helpful than I am with all child raising and all of that. So we, we have a really good balance. He made me, I have all boys. So he actually did an add on um, to the house to make me a girly room because he felt like I should have my own space. So he made sure I had wallpaper and a pink chandelier and our cellos are in the corner. It's kind of our music room also, but um, you know, there's a lock on the door and he says, use it. I don't want anyone coming in when you're practicing. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. So I'm lucky. Awesome. I'm very, very lucky. Wallpaper. That is partner goals is getting right. somebody who will do some <laughs> wallpaper for you. So um, in terms of like low times, like, you know, where the instrument feels like either impossible or you're not motivated, like kind of have, has there been anything that has helped you through those times or is it just like, no, I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other and I'm disciplined. Um. I wish I was like that. I do get that way. There's two different kinds of low times for me. One is the, um, I'm never going to get any better. I'm never, I'm always going to sound like this. And sometimes to me that when I come out of that one, it's like you kind of said one foot in front of the other, I watch our videos. So I record all of our lessons, which is incredibly helpful because I, I'll draw a blank. Of, I don't know what to even start on today. I haven't practiced in four days. Where do I start? And so to me, the, practices and things we've done are very inspirational, kind of get me going again. And um, really a lot of just the the baby steps, right? What we talked about, like I have a bunch of whys and what my goals are, but you know what? If I just, you actually, uh, I listened to one of the podcasts you had recommended and you actually had a, a there was, it's not yours, but there was on Benjamin's podcast and he actually had a, a concert cellist and he was saying he had to study something and it was tough and he would come and he's like, I'll just spend five minutes doing this. And that's fantastic, right? That's like, like when you go to the gym, I'm just gonna put my gym clothes on and I'm gonna go in and I'll just do it for five minutes. Right, that if it feels better to keep going, keep going, but otherwise just like five is okay. I did five and that's really what I do to get through the the low times is a, like, like you were saying, the one foot, I'm just gonna do this one. I'm just gonna play a little bit. And of course I always play longer, so. But also it's, um, if you only have a couple minutes, sometimes it's actually nice to use that time to practice because you can't get like grandiose in your expectations. Um, but also it's getting out of non-cello mode and into cello mode is a muscle that needs developing. So actually the more times you can actually do a little sip of practice here, a little sip of practice there, you're, you're practicing like some other goal as well. So, uh, other skill rather. So, um, so let's take a little, not really like a turn, but you have this like extraordinary story from what you did before you were corporate lady, uber mom, 
Um, can you tell, and, and this is like, I'm now I get to fangirl on you because I am such a nerd for anything with a wing. <laughs> so, um, yes, I've already given it away people, but would you, um, tell me a little bit about your life in the military? Uh, yes, I was in the military. I'm a retired Navy and, uh, I was in for 20 years. And uh, tell me about the, um, don't you have like, weren't you a first of some sort? Oh, yeah, um, in my in my squadron. So I was a, a Navy pilot and um, I actually, we're not going to do the math, so don't ask, but we will I'm not sure we'll do the math. So yeah, so I went through officer training, um, aviation officer candidate training the year they said that women could fly in, in combat. So they had just opened up a bunch of roles. So there were a whole bunch a first before me, let me just say, I just met, I don't know, 50 something female pilots that really did pave the path, the actual first female Navy pilots I got to meet a couple months ago and it was a real honor. Um, I was the first in my um, squadron. We deployed with the, the Nimitz the first time they took women out on the aircraft carrier. It's incredible. And then um, what uh, aircraft did you fly? I flew the uh, Seahawk helicopter. It's like the Army Black Hawk that I think people know better, but it's the Navy variant. And we did um, search and rescue, combat search and rescue, and anti-submarine warfare. It's just so impressive. I've I've been right seat in a learning heli helicopter once, and it just seemed like the the thing was trying to sh shake itself apart the entire time. I was so unnerved and just. <laughs> like nothing but admiration for all of the whirly girls out there. <laughs> just anybody who can just sure. fly something with rotors. I'm just, I don't Not even. Something's wrong with it. So you want it, you want that. <laughs> Actually, just random question. Have you, um, have you uh, been up in an Osprey at all? I have not. Um, my one of the places uh, we used to fly had the Ospreys there, but I never went up in one. I just walked through it. I um I saw one at an air show and it uh, it sent all the dumpsters like they just di didn't plan they were supposed to be chained down and just like absolutely just like herded all of the dumpsters onto this one part of the airfield most amusing so I guess I'm just wondering you know the the path that you took requires patience a kind of analytical academic mind. Um, lots of discipline, but also I don't like to say fearlessness because like bravery doesn't mean that you are not afraid. It means that you're a little afraid, but you like kind of just keep going anyway. Right. Does any of this play into your approach either when you're playing the instrument or just when you're conceiving of your trajectory? Cause it is kind of a bold, brave thing to be an adult learner in this space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is the adrenaline rush of getting it right. So there is kind of a, a, a correlation of just, I guess, maybe how I'm made or, or how I think, because to your point, you know, going through the flight program and training and, you know, flying around the world every day when you launch, right, there's so many things to consider, right, why we're there, the air crew, the people who are on board. Um, and so I'm not saying that cello is like a life or death kind of thing, but it's that feeling of something that is very complex, a lot of moving parts and requires you, I'm gonna say it again, to be present, but it requires that kind of focus, but really being able to understand a whole lot of things that are going on just to make one note sound right, right? And so, um, and, and the, I guess really just that 
pushing through when things aren't going the way you want them to go. There's still a, um, there's a process. There's a method to the madness. But also like, at least from my own much more limited flight training and like fixed wing, right? Nothing, nothing so spicy, but um, they don't teach you about like the flaps and the trim on your first lesson, right? Like so somebody's flying it for you and they're just like, let's just do some turns. Let's just, and so it's just sort of like, but my goal was to be able to execute a, a perfect um, touch and go and to, you know, fly long distances and with, you know, my people, but it's like, because it's so complex, it's really important to be okay with just like, I'm just going to get really good at level flight for a little bit. I'm just, right. And then I'm going to maybe get maybe then my, that maybe, maybe then I'll work on like my altitude discipline and that, right. Like, so it's like, I, I want more people to kind of be okay with like, no, this is just the step I'm on. And if I'm really good at this step, the other steps are going to be better too. You have to hold altitude and airspeed, you know, before they put you under the hood, right. For instrument training, right. When we were instructors. And I have to say, I think one of the coolest things about randomly finding you, like I did is that I was a pilot for a living, but cello is my hobby, but cello is what you do for a living and flying was your hobby. So, Hey. And, and it's a, it's a weird hobby for like, I mean, there's lots of people who do like music and like they have planes and you know, they, they fly a lot. But um, but also just like to be sort of like a actually like a naval like geek historian. Like after I I read The Hunt for Red October as a kid, yeah. I was also like, I'm gonna be the first female nuclear submariner. Yep, they have them now, actually. They have them now, but also now that I've been around submariners, dodged a bullet. Not it's not that's no, no. You would have liked you would have liked the flying we did. I think I would have liked the flying, absolutely. Um, so then I guess as we're closing out, just to kind of nerd out and also, um, offer any recommendations, do you have like favorite uh, musicians to watch favorite recordings? Like, what are you listening to now? I guess if there's anything that you're like really enjoying. I, yes, actually there's a couple. Well, what's, what's funny. Um, so every morning I have Alexa play something by Chopin. I can't understand it. I just love to have Chopin in the morning. Sounds um, good to me. I also like Debussy in the morning. I'll listen to both of them. Um, uh, I have some pieces that have really resonated over the years, um, like Dvorak, um, the American. I love that. Paul Casal's Song of the Birds, which isn't is one of his most popular, but I found that by accident and I'm just in love with that piece and for everything that it means and stands for. Um, and then I just discovered, I think through you, Symphony Fan Fantastique. Symphonie Fantastique. I, I taught music appreciation and for, for non-music majors. And that was the piece that I was like, we're going to freak out on this piece. I just love that. But yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. And um, I, you know, I love Elisa Wallerstein and I, I love watching Yo-Yo Ma. And I love, you know, um, really at this point, um, I even, I, I like the two cellos. Anybody who's playing the cello and looks like they love it to me, it's inspirational, right? That's what I like to watch. I get inspired by that. Absolutely. And um, I'll see if um, in the show notes, I can like link to um, the Song of the Birds and just so everybody, because it's definitely, it's definitely like special. And I didn't, I didn't know it until only like, I don't know, 10 years ago. Oh, it's one of my favorites, highly recommend. But again, you know, immersion in, into cello um, and uh, Benjamin Whitcomb has like this whole playlist that he had put out of here are all the ones that I would recommend looking at. So that was really fun. I did that too. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and sharing all of your stories and also letting me just kind of nerd out some more about aviation. This, this podcast is for me. It's just because I want to talk to people. That's all it is. Let's well, I want to say thank you. And and the Tamarack Arts um, was such a find. And I thank my husband for buying me the Strings magazine where I read about you. Oh, that's right. Good old Strings. Yeah. He got All right. All right. Well, we will we will chat again soon. And um, if you're an adult learner who would like to talk to me on this show, send me an email, emilywrightcello at gmail.com. That's me. Thanks. <laughs>